You do a lot of talking, bro. You do a lot of talking. All that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You're going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Yeah, boy! Ah, yes it is. A thunderous Thursday, this is T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us. And don't you dare forget, tonight, it's Aces in Liberty. It is the game of the year. Have you seen the hype? Have you seen the hype with this? ESPN is all over this like a hobo on a hot dog. Oh, did I say hot dog? <laughs> oh, yeah. The hot dog connoisseur got something for you today. I see what you did there. You see I what like I did? It. Yeah, total, total accident. What are you doing over there? Are you, you can't pick out the right opens. You're, you're messing up like channel right six open. over there. That's why, that's why you're banging your head against the wall. Please, you know, don't have a, don't have a, a heart attack or anything. We don't have to call the paramedics on you. I'm not you. <laughs> Hot dogs, baby. Hot dogs. We get ready for 4th of July. And you know who joins us each and every year about this time. Mickey Sudo, the women's champion. All right. The eight-time Mustard Belt Award winner. You like that? The Mustard Belt? Outstanding stuff. And George Shea, the maestro, the man who puts it all together. It's pretty fiendish on the mic as well, too. All right. And uh, I do believe we finally got that introduction that George Shea's been promising me for three years. We finally have that today, don't we? Nice. Nice. All right. Mickey Suda, the champ. George Shea, the organizer, the MC, the man with the master plan, the man that cuts faster, and the master of disaster. You like where I'm going with that? I don't know. All right, so we got them today in next hour. Chris Bosio will join us because we're talking to Boz about the perfect game that took place last night. And guess where? Oakland, baby! Did we look at the attendance? Make sure you look at the attendance for me with that, all right? I guarantee you there were more Yankee fans than A's fans last night as the Yankees spin a gem on the A's 11-0, the final score, 11-0. Speaking of which... As I'm all over the place here today. 11 and nothing. So I don't know why this was last night, but I had a few free moments late night, like Scott Spritzer. Always have my, my free time, you know, late night. All right. And you can bring Scooter on right now because I know Scooter's going to join us here today. What's up, Scoot? What's going on, guys? I'm going to tell you this. So I'm uh, perusing the channels last night and I come across Moneyball and I'm going like, Oh, wow. This is pretty cool because I just got done seeing a perfect game from Domingo Herman. Nine strikeouts, perfect game, the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. And the final score of that game was 11 to nothing. Now, I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, Scott, in Nunchuck, way over his head, but 11 nothing in Oakland had something to do with. One of the greatest streaks we've seen of all time. What? And that was in Moneyball. 
where the A's were going for their 20th record tying win, American League record, if you remember back in 2002, which was in Moneyball. And they led that game against the Kansas City Royals 11 to nothing, only to have the Royals come back and tie it up at 11 apiece. And then Scott Hattieberg, one of your all-time favorite catcher slash first baseman, uh, hit a walk-off ding-dong to make it 12-11. But how weird is that? I'm looking at in Moneyball right after the the A's uh, succumb to the Yankees in a no-hitter, and the final score is 11 to nothing. I mean, 11 runs is not something that you find in any given baseball game on any given night. So I got 11 nothing. I got 11 nothing. I got 11 11. And I got 12 to 11. And I got a good movie popcorn, Pepsi, and a Hershey's bar for my evening last night. Okay, back to you, Scott. <laughs> Glad to see you're eating healthy, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I had the jalapeno pepper jack half hour ago. You like that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the hot dog Amazing. yesterday. There you go. <laughs> and he stays thin. <laughs> Olin Polonese is going to join us on the show as well today, so let's get a, a plug-in for our, our full guest list. And we start with the one and only handicapper extraordinaire and hot dog connoisseur as well, Scott Spritzer. Even stranger than the 11s was the fact that Domingo Armand, in his previous two starts, had given up 15 earned runs, 15 hits, four walks, and five home runs in a grand total of five and a third innings. Uh, seven runs allowed in two innings in his last road start. He's given up four earned runs at Seattle this year, six earned runs at Minnesota in six innings earlier. I mean, he was bad. Yeah. He's just not pitching well. And he came into last night, and I think he had had, what, four June starts, and his ERA was over six in the month of June. So I don't know, man. Is there an asterisk by it when you consider that, you know, he was up against a double-A team last night, or mm. or do we count it as, I guess we count it as a, as a, uh, a, a perfect game. We'll give him that. But, uh, boy, was he on. And nice movie reference because I've seen it a couple of times, and I really do enjoy watching that movie. Yeah, it is good. It's, it's one of those movies. I don't know uh, if you're like me. You start flipping channels, and you catch something that maybe you're 45 minutes into it, and you say, oh, okay, I remember this scene. I like this scene. I think I'll hang with it for a little while. Then you go, mm, I think I'll just keep hanging with it. Uh, oh, it's over? Wow, there it is. Where, where'd that hour and 15 minutes go or something like that, you know? It's, it's not quite Tombstone or Remember the Titans or, you know, if you want a sports movie, but it's good. It's, if people haven't seen it and they're even slightly a baseball fan, they should watch it. Yeah, I mean, definitely probably maybe the, the second uh, uh, best baseball movie of all time behind Walter Matthau and Kelly Leak and Tatum O'Neill oh. and the Bad News Bears. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> not the remake. Folks oh. got to watch the original. Of course. Of course, my friend. Wow. Um, all right, Scott, a lot of, a lot of stuff to, to touch on. You mentioned baseball. So let's just continue that for a minute because I was looking at the board tonight and you're talking about Herman's stats being downright awful. And he spins the, the perfect game last night. How about Chris Bassett tonight? I really want to play the Toronto Blue Jays tonight and they're playing the Giants and, they're, and they're going against the Giants uh, rookie and Hammenager. And I really like Toronto's offense. And I said, you know, Bassett, and I started looking at his numbers, go, man, did he go south? Cause you remember he started the season pretty well. He's usually been a, a, a pretty decent pitcher. And, but man, has he gone south lately? Uh, no pun intended there. Cause he's playing for the Toronto Blue Jays up north, but I don't know, Scott. It, it's one of these games where after watching Herman, you know, and no rhyme or reason to play him, 
I got really no rhyme or reason to play Bassett tonight, but I, I just got one of those gut feelings. They get show yeah, up. He's, he, it's been kind of. I mean, it's been a, it's been a rough go of it. He didn't start that badly. I know he had. Uh, I'm going to say from like start two through like the next four starts in April, he pitched really well, and he had a run of about three or four starts in a row in May where he did the same. He gave up like two earned runs over a four start stretch, and we're talking like you know thirty innings of pitching in those four starts. So he goes deep into ball games, but. All of a sudden, he just doesn't have it. He, his last three starts, he's only completed four innings twice. And the one time that he completed more than four was a five-inning stretch in which his team lost to these Oakland A's that we're talking about. And he got knocked around by the Oakland A's. So Oakland, Texas, Baltimore, they've all dealt him some tough blows in his last three starts. And, and that's what's tough because this isn't a guy who you get five innings out of and then you pull him and you say, hey, good job, pat on the back and let your bullpen do the rest. This is a guy, when he starts, you're expecting to get six to seven innings per start when he's on his game. And again, this is three starts in a row and like four out of the last six where he's been out in, you know, four innings or less. And that's really odd, like something's going on with Chris Bassett. That's And I get what you're saying about wanting to, to jump on Chris Bassett tonight. That's kind of what kept me off him because I don't know if there's something else going on other than, you know, he's lost his mojo or lost control of his pitches for a couple of starts and he'll get it back together. That's something I got to kind of wait on when it comes to a guy like Bassett. Because, again, it's a guy who you're used to seeing go six, seven innings when he's healthy. And with Keaton Wynn, you mentioned the rookie for San Francisco, you know, they're hoping to get four innings out of him. And he's pitched well so far for the most part. You know, 12 base runners and 12 innings, that's not bad at all. Obviously, an exact one whip. And he's only given up one home run in those three outings. So it's one of those things where a Bassett, man, if you, if you knew if you woke up on the right side of the bed today, you'd be all over, I think, in this game. But I ended up holding off. Yeah. Well, the guy did get hit in the head last year. And I'm not making a joke about this. I mean, remember no. he took that line drive last year and it was, it was downright brutal. And you just wonder, you know, he, he came back and, and he pitched after, you know, a little bit of a layoff after that. But you, you never know. I mean, what, yeah. sometimes you can be gun shy and, you know, maybe, I don't know, your, your release point is off or you're, or you're not following through because you're afraid that you're going to take a, another one coming off the bat at over a hundred miles per hour. And I'm not joking. I mean, right. anybody who's pitched, I don't care at any level like that. That, that is also, that's a fear. You know, I know I went through it. You know, when I was pitching, it was like, wow. I mean, you know, you, you're, you're fearful sometimes of that kind of stuff. And you, you wonder, Scott, why that doesn't happen more often. Because I mean, you go back in, in the old days. I mean, way before us, but you know, you, you hear the stories about Herb score, you know, but you know, you know, blinding himself, you know, a line drive and, and, and there's been a lot of other. Major League Baseball pitchers over the years, over the decades, that have uh, been brutally hurt. And that's a dangerous position, man. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, my last couple of years of playing organized baseball, and of course I didn't play college or pro, but my last couple of years was I played catcher. And we had a guy who took a liner. He was a right-hander, and when he did his follow-through and came across, he took a liner kind of like off the back of his pitching shoulder, maybe the side of the pitching shoulder, and he was like freaked out after that. You know, so... It can play with your mind big time. And also, I haven't tracked this the entire season, but I know about a five, six weeks into the season, um, I'm watching a show. It might have been like Mad Dog Russo or something. And they were talking about the pitchers who were like in that 33 and over range who are having a really tough time uh, dealing with the pitch clock. They, you know, because, and not just talking about arm weariness, they were talking about, you know, you get 34, 35, 36. And of course, Bassett's, you know, in that range. 
you're, you're talking about your legs needing that time off between pitches or otherwise they start burning. You know, you get that burning feeling until you get used to it. So it could even have something to do with that. You know, again, I was kind of thinking about tracking it and then I didn't, but pitchers in that age group uh, were certainly having some issues having to throw the ball so quickly uh, after they threw their prior pitch. And I, I just wonder if that has something to do with it also. Yeah, and we're talking more about that with Chris Bosio, And he predicted this way back when, before the season started, when they were going to the pitch clock. And he was spot on. He goes, you watch, T. He goes, you watch the injuries that, that have happened. We're going to have pitchers that are going to be going down left and right. And it has been an un. It's it's amazing. I, I hate to use the word amazing, but an amazing number, an alarming number of pitchers that have been injured. Uh, whether it's because the the pitch clock getting out of the routine, delivering faster, uh, you know, who knows? But uh, I mean, look at Lance Lynn. I'm watching Lance Lynn today. Right, this guy he, he can't throw a ball over the plate without being jacked out of the yard this year. Yeah, you know, and and 22 home runs he's allowed. You know, he's no spring chicken out there for the Sox. And you just wonder, and that's my biggest wonder is not just with the arm weariness, but again, just your legs. I mean, that's a lot of wear and tear when you go out there and try to throw six innings, you know, on your legs. And when you're not able to take that time off that you grew used to all of your life, you know, as a pitcher at that age, I think it does have to affect your, your, your legs, your, the fact that you're going to tire out over the course of a, of a game in which you used to be able to handle once every five days. And I don't think it's a problem with anybody basically under 25. They've been growing up in, in the minors now the last few years with the pitch clock, so they're going to be used to it. But, you know, the older guys, 30 and up, I mean, it's, you would think it would have some kind of effect unless you're just in phenomenal shape. Mm-hmm. Scott Spreiser joins us. Oh, by the way, the uh, attendance last night at the Perfect Game in Oakland, the Oakland-Alameda County Coliseum, Ricky Henderson Field, wherever the heck it's called now, Ring Central, 12,479. Uh, how many of those were Yankee fans, do you think, Scott? Uh, 10, 10,000. Pro- probably, right? <laughs> Seriously, I, mean, I would be saying 10,000, no doubt about it. I mean, you look at the crowds. You know, our friend Dave Tulio was at a game last year, and there, there looked like there were maybe 600 people in the stands. He was taking pictures of the stadium and all the empty seats, and, I mean, it was just ridiculous. But, you know, the fans of Oakland, listen, I'm sorry you're losing your baseball team, but this just didn't happen overnight. It's funny, I... I had this thing pop up on my Facebook, you know, TC, you know how you get the memories, right? Yep. That pop up. And I had sent something out like in 2016 that it was the Yankees, of course. And I had, had mentioned in this, in this, uh, Facebook uh, post that I put out there that, wow, Yankees must be in town. Oakland drew 13,000 fans tonight. <laughs> and that was in 2016. Yeah. So the fans that are crying and whining, I get it. Stadium stinks. You know, let's just call it like it is, but. Oakland was a contender for many years in those in, back then, you know, in the, a decade ago, five years ago, and the fans still didn't show up. So, you know what? I wish we could birth a team in Las Vegas, but that's ridiculous to even think that would happen. Who's going to put up the money uh, to do that? So bring in the A's. I'll take them. I'll be out there watching games. All right. Uh, the breaking news uh, today actually touched upon a little bit yesterday, but uh, more of the facts come out today that the NFL suspends three players indefinitely and one player for six games for gambling policy violations. Isaiah Rogers and Rashad Berry of the Indianapolis Colts and then free agent Demetrius Taylor suspended indefinitely at least through the conclusion of the 2023 season for betting on NFL games. Then uh, you have Nicholas uh, Petit, uh, 
uh, Farrah, I guess, whatever his name is. I don't know. I got some misspelling uh, here of uh, the Tennessee Titans is suspended for the team's first six games of this season for betting on non NFL sports at the team's facility there in Nashville. So Scott, this is something that, and you and I have talked about for a long, long time, uh, that, okay, you know, the NFL is so afraid of, of talking about gambling and coming to Las Vegas and not having any events here. And then of course they flip it, you know, 180 degrees. And not only does the NFL say, okay, you know, Raiders can play there. Everyone else fine. They now have the partnerships, the marketing partnerships, you know, with Caesars and BetMGM and just all the others, you know, uh, that are out there. And now you're starting to see, you know, more and more players say, Hey, man, this, uh, this app thing. I never knew about a mobile app. It's pretty easy to use. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I could tell you, and I've talked about this before, you know, spending, a lot of years, you know, whatever the number is, 10, 12, 15 years in NFL locker rooms and major league baseball locker rooms, NBA, all that stuff. You know, they have the signs on the door and I specifically will use football here because in Green Bay and I, you know, was always a guy that loved to bet. I would talk to players and even coaches about gambling. All right. And these players had no clue how to bet. They weren't interested in it. They're more interested in video games. They're interested in playing dominoes for money, you know, in the locker room. But none of these players had a clue or even cared, and you never saw it. It was never out there. But now, my opinion, Scott, is that the NFL's kind of done this to themselves. And talk about a hypocrisy here. You know, and we love it that, you know, we have betting and, you know, okay, we you can go and see the bottom line on any newscast, sportscast, any network or whatever, and talk about it openly and freely during broadcasts. Okay, that's cool. But it seems like we're seeing more and more of these players, whether it's recreationally or serious, we don't know. But we see them betting, and the NFL is just cracking down big time. I'm curious what your thoughts are as a not only a sports fan, but a guy that is has been a handicapper and doing this professionally for a majority of your life. Well, I, I think, first of all, if anybody watching the NFL, professional sports in general, the NFL itself or any other you know administration or any league thinks that guys haven't been betting on sports that play in their leagues for the last 80 years, they're out of their mind. Uh, Paul Horning, Lynn Dawson, let's just go right down the list. You know, and now though, what happens with, this is why I argued, I was on CNBC a few years ago, I'm going to say like 10 years ago, and I was on a, a show called Power Lunch, which is a weekday show on CNBC, and I was on there with a congressman and somebody else, and we were talking up about the pros and cons of sports betting. And I said, one of the pros is that you will be able to track what's going on closer than ever before, meaning that you're going to find, you know, it's going to, you're going to find instances that are a little bit fishy uh, that you never thought maybe would have happened or always just, it was kept under, uh, under wraps. And so I don't think, I mean, I know there's more probably betting now among players this generation than there was 25 years ago, but to think sports betting or betting on the NFL by NFL players wasn't happening already is ridiculous. We're finding it out now because of apps, and guys having their own apps and things of that nature. So there's a way to track who's betting, how much. I, I did see one guy saying the biggest bet made out of all these guys who were caught betting of these four or five that you mentioned was $1,000. Okay, that's a guy looking for action just to have some extra. That's not a guy looking to make 
extra money, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it was on a prop. And uh, so anyway, uh, no, they shouldn't even be betting props, obviously, in their sport. Uh, but to think it hasn't been going on, I think, is is just a little naive because it's just now easier to track and find out about these bets. The one guys you mentioned, the Tennessee Titan player, uh, he wasn't betting on football at all. You know, they were saying that he was betting on other sports. He just right. did it from the wrong location. I don't understand why. I mean, I get the whole juice factor and all that. You know, when we were young, we all bet. We loved the juice. We needed the action. That changed a long time ago for me, like 20 years ago. Now I bet to try to make money. Uh, but the bottom line is, is, you know, these guys with these huge contracts don't need to be betting. So, you know, it's just for juice. But you're right about the part that the NFL has just embraced and they're taking that money when it comes to all these sports books. You see advertising on their games. You see it on the dasher boards and hockey, things of that nature. So, of course, guys who would have never bet before are going to be more alerted to it now. You know, there's always going to be a core group of guys that are going to bet on games when they're playing, not necessarily in their own games or their own sport, but they're going to be betting. But now it's opened up because, like you said, hey, man, you open Pandora's box, NFL, and you're putting it in their face every single day. So if you don't think that somebody's going to give it a shot that maybe wouldn't have five or ten years ago, again, that's naive thinking, too. So, again, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It'll never stop. But it's now a situation where they've opened a can of worms by, hey, we're going to grab all that money. We're going to take all that money. Hey, running back number third string on our team, you just bet 50 bucks on a game. Slap on the wrist or you're out of your money for the next six games. I don't know what they expected to happen. I think it's a little naive. And they certainly weren't looking at uh, the big picture of things when they decided to take all this money from sports books. Oh, yeah, exactly. They were just looking at uh, the gain of that, the, the financial gain of uh, those uh, multi-million dollar partnerships uh, from the sports book entities. And there's been 10 players that have been uh, busted, basically, by the NFL in the last two seasons. And, uh, and to your point, None of those guys were betting heavy money. I mean, they, they were $100 bets, $500 bets. I think, uh, uh, Calvin Ridley's bets were right around, uh, three, four, five hundred dollars and nothing more than, than a thousand dollars. Because again, these guys, no, they're, they're not in tune to it. They're not there to make money, but there's, you know, recreationally having fun or, or whatever it is. But you would think that, you know, oh yeah, maybe these guys are, you know, you know, losing hundreds of thousands of dollars because, uh, you know, the contracts are worth that much. But isn't it funny? I think Calvin Ridley is the biggest name that we have heard betting. Most of these guys are either practice squad guys or, you know, special teams guys or whatever. So it's, it, it's kind of weird. And we know that the NFL has got a net on this. And again, they can track your phones. They, they want to make sure you're not doing this at the facilities and all that stuff. But we, you know, you mentioned that, you know, Paul Horning and Len Dawson. And obviously, I mean, those guys were big time guys and those guys were degenerates. Well, I can speak of Horning just because I, I know him. And, you know, Pete Rose, obviously, from the baseball side, those guys were gambling since they were teenagers, you know. So, but a lot of these guys, they are total novice. And I don't know. I mean, is the NFL right for for clamping down and making the suspension is as long as it is for, for an entire season or using the term indefinitely? Or should it be a slap on the wrist? It's tough, man. That's a tough call because they're not betting the kind of money that changes the outcome of a game, you know, that they're going to say, oh, boy, I can't afford, you know, to lose this, you know, 50000 or this 100000 or whatever, so I better miss this tackle or whatever. It's not that kind of money. It's definitely juice money. It's action money, and they're having fun with it. They ought to be betting, you know, with each other, you know, and, and doing that kind of stuff like, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, 
get you on the field, I'm going to tackle, I'm going to throw for 300 yards, whatever, that kind of fun stuff that you do among each other, and I'll take you out to dinner if you win. But I don't know, I, I don't know, man. It's like you almost think, hey, NFL, give every player an account, and they have to put their own money in it, and then say we're tracking every one of your accounts, and then, of course, they'd have to you know, go to the old mom and pa shop down the street if they actually want to have more action, you know, and, 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 and brick and mortar kind of stuff. But I don't know, man. I don't know what the answer is other than if the NFL truly believes that this is a problem or going to be a problem, then they can give back some of that money that they obviously don't need and stop advertising sports books on their product. Mm-hmm. Scott Spritzer, DocSports.com. Go there to subscribe to Scott's plays. Uh, doesn't matter to the sport. My man is, is all over it. What about, we talked about some baseball earlier on. Do you, do you got a baseball player too you like tonight? Yeah, I like the Red Sox for the first five innings tonight. I think they uh, bounce back at least in the first five uh, from a couple of recent losses to Miami, who started getting healthy a couple of days ago. And now we've seen, you know, a couple of nice wins at Fenway Park, where they've never, ever played well. Uh, but they had the last two games. But they're going to try to stave off this home sweep to Miami, and they're just clobbering TC. They're clobbering southpaws at Fenway this season. They average over six runs per game. Uh, they've won eight of ten games at home against lefties. And you're talking about facing uh, Jesus Lozano tonight. This guy's got a 545 road ERA, a 152 whip. His opponent's batting average is around 310 when he's on the road. So I think the Boston Bats can do some damage. And for those who just casually follow baseball, uh, Brian Bello has been terrific in his last 10 starts, as good as anybody. Last 10 starts, he's got a 245 ERA and a 116 whip. He's not allowed a home run in any of his last five starts. So I don't want to mess with the bullpens, but I think Bello over Luzardo is not a bad way to go. First five innings, and it's around $1.10 to $1.20 uh, when you shop around on that play on Boston. All right, and we uh, open uh, with the the Yankees talking about uh, the Yankees beating the A's last night. Well, just since we've been on the phone here in the last uh, 15, 20 minutes, Scott, the Yankees put up an eight spot in the top of the sixth inning, and they now lead the A's by a touchdown, 10 to 3. Yeah, I saw that as we were talking. It was like, I got, I'm watching the Angels game on my, on a TV by my desk, yeah. and I've got my line service up, and I just kept seeing four, Five, seven, eight, ticking across my screen as we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. All right, brother. Appreciate the time. Uh, in, enjoy your Fourth of July. I know you're going to eat well. Like that goes without uh, a doubt. All right, and uh, so enjoy. Have fun. I know you'll be watching the hot dog eating contest as well too. Oh, I'll be watching it. I'll be having my own later on in the day. And also, every baseball team plays on the 4th of July this year. Good job, MLB, after blowing it last year. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. If we can get that on 4th of July and Labor Day and Memorial Day, then we're all good. That's the baseball world that that we should have all the time, and that's what we're used to, right? Absolutely. I was so bummed when I didn't see every team playing last year. I'm like, what are you talking about? You got to have every team in action. Exactly. All right, brother. Be cool. We'll talk to you later. Appreciate you. Take care, TC. There it is. Scott Spritzer, DocSports.com. That's where you can get Scott's plays. Always so gracious enough uh, to give us a couple here, always on the show each and every week. And of course, our best bets during the course of the football season, Scott and Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk, uh, part of the part of the team here. Appreciate those guys. All right. Speaking the team and, and joining us today, Chris Bazio. We're going to talk with him about the perfect game last night. You know, Boz had a no-no himself when he pitched. So we're going to get his thoughts on that. And uh, as well, like you said, 
uh, Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest coming up on uh, Tuesday, the 4th of July. Looking forward to that. George Shea and Mickey Sudo are going to join us today. But when we come back, we talk a little NBA Summer League. My man who joined me uh, there at the Thomas & Mack Center last year. Always a pleasure. One of my good friends, Olden Polonese, OPP, the 12-year NBA veteran, comes up next. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! The doctor is now in. All right, don't forget, tomorrow we're back at the West Gate of Las Vegas inside the world-famous Superbook, our Friday home. Come on by, see the show live. That'll be good. Tomorrow, let's see, we got tomorrow. Big Mo's going to join us. Our other seven-footer, Paul McKeskey. He will join us, a 12-year NBA veteran. He's coming down tomorrow. We also got Marco D'Angelo in the house. Of course, John Murray the uh, executive director of the Superbook, and my good friends from the Motown show, Inside the West Gate. They're going to be coming down tomorrow. If you haven't seen that show, it is fantastic. They sang the national anthem the other night at the Aces game, get Aces and Fever game. That was pretty cool. So, uh, And tomorrow night, I'll be out there because it's their 500th show. 500th show there at the Westgate of Las Vegas, the Motown show. So, uh, yeah, we'll be giving away tickets for that. Plus, we got tickets if you want to go see David Spade and Nikki Glasser tomorrow night. You want to do that? Give us a call, 702-221-7283, 702-221-7283. There you go. All right. A little OPP in the house. That's right. A little naughty by nature. My man, Olden Polonese, the real OP minus the other P, joins us. What's up, brother? <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, brother. Thanks for uh, taking the time and joining us today, man. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So what do you think, OP? We we know that we got uh, Summer League coming up uh, next week. I know you're hitting town. Uh, you were You were with me. Side by side, we were broadcasting there from last year. I know uh, it's it's a it's a regular hot spot for you. And uh, give me your thoughts. I mean, we about about just we'll get into the specifics because I want to talk to you about Victor Wambayama and all that. But just uh, your experiences at the summer league uh, after all these years. Well, you know, it, it, it's cool what they're doing now. I think Juan Legarry's done a, a, an incredible job. You know, going from being you know one of the top agents to bringing summer league to Las Vegas and which is like the highlight of the summer for the NBA. I mean, it's the place to be, whether guys are active, not active, whatever, you know, we've had LeBron in the past, everybody's shown up. And so it, it's something to see. The only thing that I've always had against it uh, compared to when we were playing summer leagues. And I think it was beneficial for myself and other players is the fact that our summer league had, the NBA players. It had Magic Johnson, Akeem Olajuwon, everybody. You know, if you were an NBA player, you played summer league. And so when I got a chance to play in the summer league, I was playing against an NBA player. Whereas this one is you're playing against the same guys that you play with in college and guys trying to make teams. So I don't think, you know, it's competitive, but it's not NBA competitive. Mm -hmm. And so that's the only gripe that I have. I, I do believe that if they had veteran players that were willing to play in the summer league, it would make it a lot better for the whole entity. No question. You and I are on the same page. 
as that. And I remember us talking about this when we were there last year. And those days were great because those were off season, legitimate off season workouts for you guys. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of times you guys would go out, you go to the park, right? I mean, seriously, you yeah. go to the park just to get a run in or stay in shape and work on your shot or work on some stuff, right? Get up early in the morning, go to the park. You know, if it's not individual workouts or some three on three, two on two or five on five or whatever it is, man, I still remember. I remember going down to Venice Beach way back in the in the day when when I was shoot I was I guess I was in my early twenties or so and I used to see Michael Cage out at Venice Beach and I said man look at look, look at Michael Cage you know, look at look, with his Jerry curl and everything just dripping wet there on the on the beaches there at, at Venice Beach and uh, but yeah I'm with you man because right now it's more about okay who's going to make this team and let's be honest I mean ninety percent of the people. Of those players are not making exactly. a roster. Ninety yeah. percent. I don't think I'm exaggerating, right, OP? I think that's the number. That's the number. Is at least ninety. Because mm-hmm. there's only a couple guys. It's like you know, you got your top picks definitely making the team, and then you know you have twelve, fifteen guys outside of the top picks. One might have a ch- might have a chance mm-hmm. to make the team. Yeah, uh, and so what we're seeing here. Now, let's call it like it is, right? It's glorified G League, right? That's what we're seeing during the course of the summer league. And yeah, it's, I, I'd rather see the G League. <laughs> and, and you know, I was going to say that too. So. And again, sorry, TC, I'm not trying to disrespect no, 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 the summer I know. league. No. I just think it's a way that they can improve it mm-hmm. because it is a great entity. It's a great situation for guys. You know, you you get a feel. You know, you get the practices. You have some. You know. You have coaches that, but it's not even the coaches. It's like guys that are getting into coaching, you know. So now you have a 26-year-old coaching you, <laughs> you know. It's true. To me, right. it's just, the psychology of it all, I think, needs to shift to where, you know, we make it even more like the NBA. Again, it's great to see these young guys. I, you know, we want to see Scoot Henderson. We want to see Cam Whitmore. I want to see these guys that just got drafted play, but, Again, they're going to be playing against the guys they just finished playing against. And this model that we have right now, OP, right, isn't going to change. I mean, it's 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 going to get worse and worse. And even with these top picks, people get all excited. They're selling tickets to go to the Thomas and Mack Center, the Cox Pavilion, and go check it all out. But the bottom line is, I mean, how much are we going to see of Victor Wembayama, the number one pick? Not much. Uh, Brandon Not Miller, much. the number two pick out of Alabama. The Scoot Henderson, who you mentioned. And that's the other thing. Yeah. See, that's the other thing. Not to cut you off. That's the one thing I keep saying. It's like they play like one or two games. Exactly. So it's like, how much better are you going to get playing one or two games? Again, when we were playing summer league, we play, like I remember playing back-to-back games. I would play back-to-back games. Like I had Magic one game, and then I had another NBA player, Dominique Wilkins or somebody I'm playing against the following game. And I would do that. I would play multiple games the same day. Because I wanted to get better, faster. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys, they play. I remember when Zion came out. Zion played one game, and that was it. That was a precursor to what we were going to get for the rest of this career. You know, it's like because you're building bad habits. People think this load management and everything else is something that's positive. It's not because now all you're doing is creating a habit of not playing basketball. 
Hundred uh, percent. Olden Polonisa joins us, longtime NBA veteran, big man, and I want to talk with you about uh, Victor Wembanyama. He's going to make his debut here at the Summer League on July the seventh next week, uh, and you've got the debut for the Spurs, and he will go against the number two pick, Brandon Miller. Uh, San Antonio will play Charlotte. Then the next game is July the 9th, two days later against, oh, by the way, Scoot Henderson in Portland and San Antonio. So the schedule makers have, have got this. And I think it's by design for these guys to play earlier on, like you talk about, you know, probably not going to see much of these guys after that. And we saw the exact same thing with uh, the top picks, you know, last year as well. Now the Spurs are going to Sacramento to play uh, in the California Classic, and that is at the Golden One Center, where you got a scaled down version of the NBA Summer League. But the Spurs says, "No, nope, no, nope, Victor, we're, we're not going to have you play. We're not going to have you play in, the, in this weekend's action. We're gonna we're gonna save you for that." And then not only that, um, OP, but they told him that they don't want him to play for his uh, native country in France yeah. for you know the World Championships. And now, I mean. Hey, you, you know about international basketball and this and that. This is, that's very important to a lot of these guys. You know, I can't speak for Wimbayama. He's 19 years old. He's played in the French league the last couple of years, but I got to believe that, you know, his, his French coaches and, and veteran players from over there, the guys he's, he's played with for all these years, they'd like to, you know, play with him and, and a shot at the world championship. And now your NBA team is saying, no, not so fast. You're not going to do it. Where do you stand on that? I <laughs> see. Don't ever ask me questions. See, see, I always say, don't ask me a question you don't want an answer to. I don't like it. I mean, and there's nothing. The, I, the I, I'm man, not trying to put you on the man, spot or anything. No, it's just oh, like, yeah. we're the same. The page. young man is, yeah. is from. He's from France. It's his home country. Now you tell him he can't represent his country. But again, it, it brings me back to this point. I have never seen. Only in the NBA will you ever see 18 and 19 year olds that are looked upon as fragile and pampered and everything else. And I'm like, wait a minute. At 18, 19, you should be able to run up and down that court for the next 20 hours without getting tired. I've never seen this. Only in, the, in, in basketball, only in NBA basketball do I see this. You know, this new era of coddling and protecting, or rather overprotecting 18 and 19-year-olds. How else are you going to get better but by playing? That's the only way you get better. It's not by not playing. It's by playing. And so, but it's a way they, they are uh, basically saying, we know you're not ready physically. Even though we drafted you, we know in our heart of hearts, you're not ready physically for the demands of this. But they just can't publicly say it or outright say it. And, but you know what's funny, OP, is that we're hearing like Spurs, you know, coaches and officials saying, "Listen, hey, we know that you can play. We've seen enough, uh, enough of you, whether it's uh, on video or in person. We know you can play. You know, we just got to get you acclimated to the system, this and that." So that's their reasoning for not having Wembyon and, and these top draft picks play. It's like, what are you talking about? I mean. This is the NBA. You're not playing internationally. And like you said, your body still hasn't even grown at 19 years old. So, 
yeah, you you do need to play. And for them to say, well, we know you can play. We know you got the skills. And that brings me to my next point, all right? So you get a kid like this, all right? And they're calling him Phenom. They're comparing him to LeBron, which just cracks me up. I mean, all the time we you know, we hear this this nonsense, right? I mean, how what does this guy need to do to to really develop his game, to step in with the big boys at age 19 and, you know, four months from now, being able to come out here and play 36, 40 minutes of contest? Okay. I'm going to break this down for y'all, okay? And people going to get mad at me. I don't care. This kid, okay, there's a lot of talk. There's been a lot of talk. He was basically created and fabricated to be this next guy, Okay. Then I'm hearing all this, oh, he's the next great thing. And I'm saying to myself, have you guys really seen him play? You know, like people that know basketball, watch him literally play basketball. I watched Kenneth Lofton, who can't, who barely can get off the bench at, at the Memphis Grizzlies, destroy Wembenyama. I've watched bigger, stronger opponents destroy him in France, okay, when he played in the upper league. And so to, I don't want to hear all this stuff. They're selling a bill of goods right now. And I said this the other day. He, he's just, he's a better, you know, a skilled Sean Bradley. It's like, you know, because based on the size, that's it. Yeah. Bo Bo has the same skill set. I've already seen this movie already. Okay, there's nothing new about him. He handles the ball. Bo Bo handles the ball. He can shoot from my side. Bobo can shoot from my side. He blocks shots. Bobo can block shots. So again, I haven't, it's nothing new to me. The problem with young players, LeBron is the only one that's ever been ready to play out the gate. Everybody else struggled. Kobe, Kevin Garnett, Jermaine O'Neal, Tracy McGrady. We can go down the line. They all struggled coming out of high school at 18, 19, 20, whatever the ages are. And that's another issue in itself. <laughs> but they all struggled because it was a, the physical aspect, not the skill aspect. We see YouTube videos of people that can handle the ball and dribble. All they got great skills, but they can't play in the NBA. This young man is really tall, so physically, it's going to be an issue for him. I watched Chet Holmgren. He was again. He's what Wembenyama is now. Correct. We yep. would talk about Chet Holmgren. Oh my God! I've never seen a guy dribble through his legs, pull up three. And then he played against who? LeBron James in a summer league. And LeBron drove to the basket. He stepped in. Boom. Broke his foot. The physicality of the NBA is going to be like nothing they've ever seen. Nothing he's ever seen. And he's got to do it for 82 games? Come on, man. They need to miss me with all this stuff. And you're right on the money. It's funny you bring that up because I had the flashback because you and I were watching Chet Holmgren last year, and there was a week or two later is when he he broke his foot. Uh, you know, as, as LeBron tried to cross him over, and it's like, whoops. Uh, yeah, no. Fragile as can be. And you look at this kid, okay? He's 7'4". Okay, he's 19 years old. You know, and, and his quote was like, well, yeah, I, I, I don't need to work on... On, on my strength. You know, I don't need to, to get in the weight room. I was like, whoa, be careful of what you say here. And then get this, and, and you'll, f hey, I don't know if you're driving, if you're pulled over, but again, I don't want you to get in an accident, my man. But when I heard this one, I could hardly wait to run this, this by you. I heard people saying, well, the only guy that I can maybe compare him to is, is Ralph Sampson. 
because Ralph Sampson, you know, was seven foot four or so or five, you know, right? No, this guy is not Ralph Sampson, correct? No, not even. <laughs> Ralph Sampson could play basketball, three-time player of the year. Yep. Come on now. That's why I said it. You guys are being disrespectful. The man has never touched an NBA basketball. He doesn't even know what the Wilson logo really looks like, okay? He doesn't even know whose name is on it right now. I believe it's Small Between Adam Silver and David Stern, <laughs> okay? And they talk about, oh, he's... He's is he top ten? Is he top five? Top five, top ten? What? I'm I get tired of hearing this crap from people. I'm like, if you're trying to get clicks and all that, I get it. I totally understand. But stop being disrespectful to the game and the players that came before. That's all I'm saying because it's total disrespect. And you're right on the money. You're 100% right on the money. And then for people to say, well, that's just an old guy that's – no, that, that that's an old guy who played in this league, again, who went through the grind and went through the grind the proper way, you know, and there wasn't that sense of entitlement like it was uh, – like it is that's now. That's a no. Casey, you know what I am? I'm an old guy with without an agenda. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying you're an old guy <laughs> that has experience and knows what the hell no, he's talking I know, about. But I, I know to to answer those people because they are I know they're out there. They hear it all the time. No, I'm that guy that has no agenda. Yeah. I'm not saying this for clicks. I'm not saying this because I'm working for somebody. Yeah. I'm saying this because it's the truth. I do nothing but watch basketball. Like I say all the time, there is a lot of things I don't know in life. Basketball isn't one of them. <laughs> what is going to be Wimbayama's biggest obstacle or challenge for him as he starts his career? Same thing Zion went through, yeah. okay, but on the reverse. You know, Zion was gaining weight. You know, this kid's coming in weighing a buck 90, 200 wet, you know, putting on weight, you know, getting stronger, getting used to the physicality of the game. You know, it's like I said, with Zion, Zion just, you cannot have that kind of weight and having that kind of torque and everything else in your body and moving the way you do and think you're going to be okay every night. It's an impossibility, you know, outside of all the other stuff he's doing. You know, but it's like it's not happening. Wembenyama, his biggest threat to his career is going to be can he stay healthy because he's so tall. These guys are coming. Giannis is coming full speed. Mm-hmm. Okay? Joel Embiid's coming full speed. A joke is coming at you, whatever speed he has. <laughs> but he's got that genius creativity he's got, and, and that weight. So all these guys are coming. Anthony Davis is going to pull you outside, drive by. So it's, and I'm not saying he's not going to have success. You know, I think he's going to work hard and do things, but I need him to just stop listening to the noise outside. You know, lock in, get stronger, because you, you're going to need it. Kevin Durant thought that. Kevin Durant couldn't bench press 225 one time. Right. But he knew he had to get stronger. Some point in time, you're gonna have to lift weights. You're gonna have to get bigger and stronger. So the uh, James Harden saga. We news today that Harden has exercised his 35.6 million dollar option for this upcoming season, basically clearing the way for the Sixers to orchestrate a trade. 
Uh, I'm tired of hearing about him. I'm tired of hearing about Kyrie Irving. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, OP, but what are the Sixers going to do with this guy? And uh, does this mean I got I to watch James Harden uh, plot around the court again for another season or two? <laughs> hey, man, I respect all the players, man, for what they do. This is a business. You know, he opted out. This is a business decision, you know. Only, only the players are expected to be loyal, and so I'm on the, I'm with the players on this. So it doesn't matter to me what he does per se. You know, he did a, he made a business decision by opting out of the contract, and that's what most of these guys like Chris Middleton did. I, I'm not gonna opt out of a forty million dollar contract or thirty five million dollar contract, but that's old and Polynesian. <laughs> I would never have done that. <laughs> you know, so, but it's like. It is what it is. This is the new age and era that we're in. You know, I think Harden's going to find a home somewhere. He's still that good. You know, the only thing I have a problem with is the fact that I think he has put too much emphasis on his well-being instead of winning games. Right. You know, even though, like I said, I, I respect what they're doing from a business standpoint, but you have to find a balance between winning and your business and if you're not going to put the effort out there because i what i don't want to see is james harden right before he went to philadelphia that heavy james harden i want to see fat james harden i don't want to see out of shape james harden at least respect the game enough to stay in shape and get in shape and be ready to play if you are a coach or a general manager let's let's keep it a coach here because you've been a coach do you want him or Kyrie on your team and what does that do to your locker room and what conversation can you would you give these players because clearly it seems like there's been a big disconnect with both of these guys with their previous coaches well players and coaches tend to butt heads so i get that but i'll say this with Kyrie first Kyrie is beloved by players around the league and his teammates wherever he's been he they they love him so let's get that clear harden on the other hand he has issues with coaches with teammates so that's a whole different situation. And so it's like he's saying that he wouldn't, he wouldn't mind going back to Houston. I think he and Odoka could get along as player coach, you know. But, again, I don't know. You know, they might – it's always like this. You think that the marriage is going to work, and then something happens, something you don't like, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's getting a divorce. And it's the same thing. It, it, it could look great right now. And then after, you know, that 10-day road trip, you know, you go on a losing streak, then people's egos get involved. All of a sudden, I want out. So you just never know with these guys. And everybody's become diva-fied in the NBA. <laughs> no doubt. All right, final thing, quick take. Chris Paul with the Warriors, do you like it? You like the fit? Uh, Jordan Poole, out. Jordan had to go. Yep. You know, contrary to popular belief, you know, with the whole Draymond punch, Jordan Poole had to go. And the Warriors are mad with Draymond for punching him because they had to pay him more money. And they had to pay him at the point where they weren't willing to pay him yet. And so, to me, you know, this was something that was going to happen. It showed you exactly how the Warriors really felt about Jordan Poole. Yeah, you know, because, again, I use that word diva fight, and that was the word being thrown around yep. by a lot of the players. You know, he was being a diva because... Steph and Clay, you know, they they were they had grown tired of Jordan Poole, and so did Draymond. 
And to the point where, you know, he made it personal between he and Draymond, and that's when Draymond unleashed that punch from hell. And, you know, but again, it was like, hey, now we have to pay this guy. And that's, like I said, that was the one thing the Warriors were kind of like, ooh, I wish you hadn't punched him. Then we could have given him $80 million instead of 130 you know. But, you know, moving on to the next part of the question with Chris Paul, I mean, Chris Paul's an all-time great, you know. And this is definitely going to be new for him because now you got guys that are constantly moving. And Chris Paul is the guy that wants to walk the ball up. So that's not the Warriors' style, and they're not going to change for Chris Paul. So he's going to have to come off the bench, and I think his value is going to be more at the end of games. You know, but I know one thing for certain. You know, he ain't going to turn the ball over like Jordan Poole. He got that right. take care of that basketball. (laughs) He got that right. You are definitely going to get a possession. (laughs) Old Apollonies, my man, I appreciate the time, man. Uh, As always, we look forward to seeing you out here in a couple weeks uh, at the Summer League. Uh, uh, We'll get you in studio, get you on site, man, and, um, and break some bread hopefully as well, too. Awesome. Take care, brother. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. There he is. One of the best Oldham Polonies, not only as a player uh, in his you know longtime career in the NBA as a center and a big man, but as a coach and on the mic as well, too. Uh, great as a broadcaster. And uh, I always appreciate having him on part of the family here. All right, we come back. We continue on with family. Chris Bazio joins us. And then we get ready to go out to Coney Island where George Shea, is already out there shooting video, getting ready for Tuesday with Badlands Booker, Joey Chestnut, all right, making that way from San Jose. And, of course, Mickey Sudo from Vegas. She's there, ready to roll. We'll talk to George Shea and Mickey Sudo next hour as well, too. Continue on on a thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Hot dogs? Are you kidding me? I'm hungry. I'm feeling good, feeling fine. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Slaves line drive. That is down. And to the wall. Cruz is in. Pierce is in. Party around. Bobby's going to try to score. And save. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Boat lines it into left field. A base hit. Cespedes will score. And the Oakland A's walk off with game two of the ALTS. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. And Turner in the air center field. That ball's hit well. Martinez on the run. This is way back. And it is gone. It is a walk-off home run for Justin Turner. The doctor is now in. A little baseball talk this hour. My man Chris Bosio is going to join us. What? Fourth of July coming up, right? On Tuesday. Baseball and hot dogs. Okay, that's what we got this hour. That's what we got. We got Mickey Sudu, the eight-time champion, pride of Las Vegas. Got that going. Then you also got uh, George Shea, uh, the MC, master of ceremonies, but also the creator uh, with the Shea Communications. And of course, that will be on ESPN Tuesday morning. 
Couldn't hardly wait for that. So we look forward uh, to that. So this hour, like I said, we've got baseball, we got hot dogs, and a whole lot more. Okay, tomorrow, remember, join us at the uh, Westgate Las Vegas as we uh, back at our Friday home. And uh, Marco D'Angelo will be in the house. Paul McKeskey will join us. All right. The former Milwaukee Buck, a 12-year NBA veteran. Uh, we'll talk uh, NBA Summer League. That is right around the corner uh, as well, too. And, of course, John Murray, the executive director of the Superbook. Yep, 2 to 4 p.m. each and every Friday, our home there at the Westgate Las Vegas. And getting ready for football season because, as we know, that is right around the corner. All right. Let's talk a little baseball with the pitcher himself. Chris Bazio, what is up, brother? TC, how you doing? I'm good, man. I am. I am good. So, uh, we had a perfect game last night, my friend. As I'm sure you're aware of, I'm not sure if uh, you watched it. Uh, you watched it uh, on television with all of the green empty seats there at the old Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, Ricky Henderson Field, Ring Central, whatever in the heck they're calling it now. But uh, Domingo Herman, a guy who came in here struggling. How about these stats, Boz? D- Domingo Herman throws a perfect game last night, the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. All right, first Yankee since David Cohn did it, what, 24 years ago. Um Coming into the game, Herman has never thrown a complete game, and he was winless against the A's. He was 0-6, had a balloon type of ERA coming into the game, and he goes, not just no-no, but he goes perfecto. What do you think of that? You know, I know he's had some some struggles this year, obviously with the suspension and you know, in the last start against Seattle, giving up, I think, Ken Ernie's. Yeah. But, but listening to the, uh, the broadcast today, I just, I think New York scored eight runs in one inning against Oakland today. And yep. last time I looked, it was like 10 to three, but they were talking about out of all the guys on their staff, Herman's the one that has carried uh, no hitters the deepest into games aside from, the lefty that lost a no-hitter last year, her mom's been most consistent about getting in the fifth and sixth inning. And they even said, out of all their guys, he was the guy to do it because he's got such good command. And it just goes to show you, in this game of baseball, you never know when it's going to happen. You never know when it's going to click. You know, the other thing that I noticed, um, some of those outs, and I know we're not overshifting, but I looked at Donaldson. He's sitting right in the five-six hole. You know how hard it is would be for me to give up the third base line, right? In a no hitter like that, and yeah. for them to play him in that spot, I saw two outs where Donaldson made last one in particular, where he was way off the line for a right-handed batter. Hmm. And it's just amazing because you need a lot of stuff to go on. You need some defensive plays. And that's the thing that was crazy, TC. There weren't a lot of defensive plays behind him. It was a pretty ho-hum perfect game. Yeah, pretty clean. You know, no question about that. And, you know, a lot of different elements to to touch on, you know, with that. But I know you threw a no-hitter. And, 
we had talked about this before. It goes back to your point of like, you never know what you go to the ballpark as a player, go to the ballpark as a fan. You never know what you're going to get, especially like fans. And they go and like, Hey, maybe today could be the day. And you got a couple of three up, three down innings. And all of a sudden you're in the fourth and you're thinking, Hey, maybe today could be the day, no matter who the pitcher is. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but didn't you tell me that the start before your no, no, that it didn't go so well? I set a career high in strikeouts with 12. <laughs> and, at, and after that, we, we flew home, and I threw my no-hitter on three days rest with the flu. That's right. Eric, yeah. Han- yeah. Eric Hansen was supposed to start. Yeah. And I got a call at home from Lou Pinella, and he's like, hey, Hansen can't go. He's thrown up all over the place. And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing the same thing, but I'll go. <laughs> He's like, we don't have anybody else. And I said, I got no problem. I'll go. And I went there and I, you know, I walked the first two guys. I mean, I was, I was thrown up before the game, right after my warm up. Normally I threw like 40 pitches in a very methodical bullpen where I always go down and away and then arm side with all my pitches, about 40 pitches. I, I cut it off at 25 and I tossed the ball in the stands. Sammy Ellis, our pitching coach, goes, "Where are you going?" I said, "I gotta go. I gotta go get sick. I'm gonna go throw up." <laughs> During the national anthem, I'm throwing up in the in the runway in there while while Edgar is stopping, hitting off the tees. Like, you all right? And I'm like, "We're gonna go. We're gonna find out." I walk the first two guys of the game. Sammy Ellis comes back out there. He goes, "What are we doing?" I'm like, "Well, you're the flipping pitching coach. Why don't you tell me?" <laughs> He goes, let's get a double play. Let's get out of this. So I, I threw Andre Dawson some cutters, uh, struck him out. Mike Greenwell hit a double play ball. And the next thing I know, I woke up in the eighth inning of this game. I had no idea where I even was. Wow. It was, it was unbelievable. And, and that's kind of the way it goes with no hitters and perfect games. You just, you keep rolling. You keep rolling, you keep hitting spots, and they keep swinging early in the count like they did yesterday with Herman. You need a lot of that. And like I said earlier, you, you know, you need luck. Oh, yeah. You, you need some luck. But that, that thing last night, man, I, I can't even think about, and I, I was watching the highlights today. There wasn't really even a hard hit ball. A ball that was really squared up, I mean, really good. Because normally you'll see a couple. And that's why I said it was kind of a whole hummer because I know in my game, I had guys diving all over the place on that kingdom turf. Yeah. And again, like you said, the kingdom turf, you're playing on not just carpet, you're playing on cement. That's what you're playing on. And that you ground ball in a hole. I mean, that's like, that's like a given, man. It's, it's going to be a base hit, but yeah, either hit it right at guys or get great defensive plays. And, you know, you had a really good defensive team behind you uh, that day too in that team. But, yeah, it is, it is crazy that things have to go your way. Now, what about this? And you've heard it. I know. Well, it was the A's. I mean, they're a glorified double A team. But here's the thing about people don't understand about the A's. Their offense is actually pretty darn good. Okay. It's not bottom of the barrel. Their pitching is just awful. Their defense isn't very good, but they got some sticks. But you're right. It just seemed like that. They were going through the motions. You had 12,000 in attendance, about probably not eight or 9,000 or probably Yankee fans there last night, you know, night game in, in Oakland. But so, I mean, 
Do you put a little bit into that? Like you said, oh, it was a whole home game, but okay, it was the A's. You know, Herman, I, I mean, I watched the last three innings. He, I think he made two mistakes on location pitches. And you still got to throw the no-hitter. And like you said, these, these guys can hit. These guys can put the bat on the ball. You know, I mean, they're not leading the league in offense, but still, that's a big park where a lot of balls can drop. If anything, that's a team that you would really kind of be on the defense for because they don't drive the ball that much, and they're, they're more of a singles hitter. They got some guys that can hit it out, but you're right. You still got to throw it. You still got to throw it over. But I think in this case, you just got to give her mom the credit because he was, he was spot on all the way through the game. All right, Chris Bazio joins us, author of a no-hitter, of course, a longtime pitching coach, too, a World Series champion with the Chicago Cubs in 2016. Back to the perfect game last night. You know, David Cohn, I mentioned, he was the last Yankee to throw a perfect game 24 years ago. Uh, I know Cohn, you know, talks about, hey, there, he had a 33-minute rain delay in his perfect game. And last night, even though we didn't have rain in Oakland, you had a long delay after the Yankees had what a big fifth inning in the in the top half, and so then Herman had to go out to the bullpen and throw because you know he, he didn't want to have that long wait. And like you said, you know you want to have that motion, you want to have that rhythm, you know, going. And then also the A's had a pitcher hurt, so then there was extra time that was given to them. I believe it was like a twenty nine minute delay in between those innings for him to go on out. How much of the factor is that for a pitcher? And during the case of your no-no, any type of delays or uh, that for you, or everything was just smooth sailing from that first inning on? You know, after the first inning, everything kind of went pretty quick. We'd, we'd scored, put up a couple of innings with some crooked numbers. So, I mean, I think we, you know, we got seven, and it, and it felt like 15. Right. You know, just by the way the game was going. And you make, you make a great point. I mean, I remember being the pitching coach in Chicago, how much of an advantage it was to have the bullpens on the field because of that. And back then, we scored a ton of runs in 16. I can remember a couple of times our guys going down there and, and throwing. Now, the, they have batting tunnels that are underneath a lot of the clubhouses where guys can go in and throw underneath. But having a bullpen mound on the field like Oakland does, I, I believe they're the only ones right now. They are the that only have ones, a bullpen right. on the field, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, so it's 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 an advantage, especially in a game like that where long innings or guys get hurt. So like, I think that was that was huge because I, again, you you don't know, but what's going to happen if he's not able to do that? Because they don't have a tunnel that's readily available in Oakland for those guys to go swing at, you know, that's underneath where he can go throw. Right. And uh, they're still charging a, a, a dollar in the uh, Coke machine there, uh, as uh, David Justice <laughs> will tell you from Moneyball, which was on last night, boss. How crazy is this? I, I, I see a little bit of the, this game. It was 11 to nothing Yankees over the A's. And then I flipped the channels Moneyball and I'm going, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll hang for this scene. I don't know about you. I, you know, I, I get some of these movies, man, especially like Pulp Fiction and some of my other favorites and I, and I can't turn it off. 
And then I go, hey, there's this 11-run thing again. Remember when the A's in 2002 had this streak of, of winning 20 in a row? You remember that very well, right? And Absolutely. then it was 11 to nothing. The A's were winning that game to tie the record. And next thing you know, they're playing Kansas City, and Kansas City comes back and ties it up 11 to 11. And your boy Scott Hattenberg hits a homer uh, in the bottom of the ninth for the A's to win that thing 12 to 11. But I'm, I just got to see an 11 nothing game in Oakland, and then I'm watching Moneyball, and that 11 nothing lead turned into 11 to 11, 12 11. It was a lot of 11s yesterday, man. It's kind of kind of crazy. It's ironic that how <laughs> all that stuff happens. Uh, it really is. I mean, I saw the Moneyball was on here too, and I I thought the same thing. It was like, what is it, what is the chances of this? Oh, it's too funny. But anyway, so back to that. So that delay, though, I mean, say in in that inning, by the way, the Yankees scored six runs, five hits, and there were two Oakland errors in, in that inning. Like I said, a half hour in between Herman going out. Is that a major factor for a pitcher? You know, I always put the line at forty minutes. Okay, because a lot of you know a lot of our guys are heated up. If it was cold weather early in the season, I, I drop it down to thirty, but. Normally these guys are pretty loose and they stay loose because of, I mean, you got, you got hot pads, you got cold pads. There's a lot of different ways to be comfortable and not a better place to pitch in the world to me than Oakland because of the, the condition. You get that marine layer at night. It's just so comfortable. I think he was fine, especially pitching in Oakland. Somewhere else might be a different story. High humidity, you know, higher temperature, lower temperature, but out there, you know, you're a Northern California guy. That, that temperature last night was perfect. Yeah. 70, 72 degrees. So hey, boss, let's, let's don't forget for a pitcher too about the hundred yards of foul territory. It helps a pitcher pretty good too, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can't have a better ballpark to pitch in. And he, he definitely had a role last night. Yeah, no doubt. Chris Bazio joins us. All right, man, you called it. I'm always praising you, man. Called it before the season started. Said that the pitchy pitchers were going to uh, – more and more injuries were going to happen this year because of this pitch clock and all this other nonsense. We're seeing it, man. And we're seeing not only pitchers with injuries, we're seeing high ERAs. Uh, it's craziness, man. Um, you called it. That's all I got to say. Is it is it well, worse than you thought? Is it worse than you thought? It's it's starting to be. You know, it's it's pretty sad when you're losing some of the arms that you're losing. And now to see some of our best pitchers um just get their lunch handed to them. You know, it's crazy. I Who's going to win this thing this year? Because the guys that are supposed to be producing at the top level of these rotations really aren't and some of these other teams are starting to hang around and it's it might be one of those years i don't know it might be it might be tampa bay's year where finally they break through because i I don't know i'm a couple more injuries and this thing's going to get really really bad and uh a lot of these organizations that they're just not that deep they really aren't because they've traded away a lot of their top arms or prospects already not a lot they can do let's talk a little bit about uh this is going to tie into the pitching right here uh justin verlander fantastic with the astros as we know goes to the mets 
talked about this in the beginning. Kind of had a feeling is not going to have that same magic, especially you know coming off uh, more arm injuries. And then Max Scherzer, uh, both these guys struggling. The Mets downright pathetic right now. Seventeen games out of first place. Their owner Steve Cohen calls a press conference yesterday and basically saying, "Hey, season's not over, but yeah, it looks like it's pretty much over." And now we know that uh, Scherzer could actually be on the move. I don't know if they would move Verlander as well, but give us your thoughts, man. You know, you know this team pretty well. These New York Mets, man, they spent a ton of money, just about more than anybody out there, maybe them and the Padres. And there's another team. We can talk about them too. Just downright awful. It's unbelievable to see what's happened to the Mets. I mean, they got off to a decent start without Verlander in the rotation. And now to see where these guys are at, I mean, I mean they're going to have to play 20 games over 500 just to have a chance, just to have a chance to, to get one of the playoff spots. And it, I think you're going to see a fire sale. Um, I think you're going to start to see a lot of their guys, you know, that are going to be, you know, try to be traded and what's going to happen. The Mets are going to have to eat some money, but I think this is going to be a wild uh, summer uh, right before the trade deadline, because there's going to be a lot of names out there. Um, you know, watch for, you know, a couple of guys from Detroit, uh, guys from the Mets, you know, some of these teams that are literally, you know, out of play, I think this is the year where they're going to unload and uh, somebody's, somebody's going to pick up a couple of good arms or maybe a couple of good bats along the way. And I, I think there's going to be a one big shocker in there too. Um, it just, it's just lining up that way, you know, and it, it usually happens this way when you don't have a definitive club, you know, running out there, Tampa Bay. I mean, they were running out there like crazy and all of a sudden, you know, everybody in the division is over 500. I mean, Tampa Bay is still going to be there, but that American League East, I, I, I wouldn't spend a dime of my money betting on any of those teams because I don't know who's going to come out of their TC. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And I'm still holding out a little bit of hope for, uh, you know, Toronto, thinking they may come out of there. And, you know, I was mentioning this earlier tonight, you got Chris Bassett, you know, pitching tonight. And I, I just can't you know, figure out this guy started off pretty good. And, but he's just been downright awful. And we know that, you know, the rest of their lineup is pretty healthy. You finally got Springer and Bichette and, you know, now you got Brandon Belt there. They're pretty healthy, but man, I'm afraid to bet on Bassett because this guy is, he's just given up, you know, five, six, seven, eight runs at a shot over the last, you know, four or five starts. What do you make of him? I, I don't know. I, it's almost like he's got something going on with his arm because it's, it's just doesn't have the life. Um, you know, he's not a ground ball guy. He's more of a fly ball guy. That's not a good, good mix, especially pitching up in Toronto. But did, one of their, is it Manoa who's down there on an A-ball rehab? Or <laughs> right, right. You told me I gave up 11 Ernie's or something? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, two days ago. That's, that's, that's got to be promising for them, <laughs> knowing that one of their studs gave up 11 to a bunch of pre-swinging A-ball guys. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane. He's 25 years old, too. And he's uh, on a rehab assignment, and it's like, well, okay, he's not ready. 
It's it's crazy what we're seeing here. Now, you know, Bassett, I you know, again, not this is I'm not making a joke. I mean, remember he got hit in the head with the line drive. Was it last year, right? And I'm thinking, yeah. like, you know, you've played that position, you know it better than anybody. I mean, once that happens to you, I, I don't know, man. You know, it's hard to block out, right? I mean, you go something like that. I mean, that's 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 almost like a a, a travesty or a near death experience sometimes. I mean, taking you know, line drive to the head. You know, they've they've had some injuries, but everybody has injuries. But I, I think there's something going on there with Bassett because the ball's just not coming out like it normally does. I mean, this guy can pitch. We've seen him do it with the Mets. We saw him do it earlier when he was with the A's before he got traded. It happens sometimes. I mean, he's he's had some he's had some really good years. You know, maybe maybe he needs a little bit of a break on that arm. But normally, when when guys are really struggling like this, um, there's usually some injury stuff going on in there. And I'm not going to use that excuse for Verlander. I mean, he's pitched decent, hasn't gotten a roll yet. But again, we haven't even gotten to July yet. And some of these guys could turn the month around and win three or four games in the next month. And, and then the next time we talk, we're talking about another pitcher. It's yep. just the way the season goes. There's ebbs and flows. Um, that's why I love the game of baseball because it's so long and grueling. And, and guys we talk about now, I mean, we might be talking about Herman in two weeks getting sent down or sent out on a, sent down to rookie ball for the same exact thing. You know, it's, it's just the way the game goes, and you just got to roll with it. Hey, we saw it with Reed Detmers last year. Remember with the Angels? Threw a, Absolutely. Threw, threw a no-no early on, boom, and then, then he goes down. Next thing you know, ZRA's around eight. So it, it is, it's a crazy game, man, but we love the crazy game. Brother, we appreciate the time, man, uh, as always. Um, glad to hear you're doing well. I want to get you to Vegas here, man, as, as soon as possible, man. So summertime, great time to, to come on out here, man. So let's, uh, let's figure out a time. You can come on out and, uh, we can go, we can go wine and dine at one of your favorite places. Well, I appreciate it. You know, just to be able to hang out with a Hall of Famer <laughs> like you would be awesome. There you go, brother, brother, right back at you, you know. All right. Take care, Chris. Appreciate you, brother. All right, take it easy. There Bye-bye. it is. Bazio, my guy. There it is. You know, he realizes. He knows I beat him in high school. See? I'm a Hall of Famer now. Get that nunchuck? You like that? See? Boz finally came around. <laughs> finally came around. My guy. All right. Hot dog time, baby. Oh, yeah. Mickey Sudo, George Shea. Next. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The doctor is now in. He is the warrior king who stands where the land meets the horizon, steadfast and unshakable, a force from beyond who defies the laws of physics. And he will never stand down. And he will never surrender, and he will never submit, until his bones are cracked and splintered and scraped like chalk on pavement, until the very dome of heaven collapses and the black avalanche of space pours down around us, until he is the last man standing on the dirt-covered surface of the earth, he will press on. Ladies and gentlemen, the Las Vegas Sports Talk King, 
a broadcaster, hall of famer, entertainer, innovator, R&B funk music master, a hot dog lover and connoisseur. He is too cold to be told. The Doctor, T.C. Martin. Listen to my man George Shea with that introduction. There it is. I mean, I think he does Joey Chestnut and Mickey Sudo a little bit more, but but I will take that. And George Shea is on a video shoot right now, I believe, with Badlands Booker, because you know Tuesday is the day. It is the 4th of July, and uh, we can hardly wait uh, for that, as always. But right now, joining us, the women's champion, one of our all-time favorites. You know what time of year it is, because that's when she's on with us. The one and only the champ, I guess the defending back to back to back to back to back to back to back. I can't count how many times I said that. Back to back, Mickey Sudo. Mickey, what's up? Hey, thanks so much for having me, especially with the epic introduction. Of course, of course. Glad to have you on once again, my friend. And uh, so first of all, we got a lot of catching up to do. I mean, first of all, it's, you know, you you were back last year. You took the year off. We talked about it to have you, your first child. How's motherhood? How's the baby? How's Nick? Give us a family update. Oh, my God. Everybody's doing great. Thank you so much for asking. Um, Max has changed the most over the last year. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't walk unassisted, and now he's just, like, cruising all over the place. He's talking up a storm in two different languages. I mean, he's... He's being his mom is the best thing ever. And you know, like, I know that I missed out on 2021, but I swear to God, like, Max has been like the best trophy I've gotten through competitive eating. So, uh, and Nick's doing great. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's working really hard on the guy's side. So, um, you know, he, I think, captured two wins already this year, and he's really gutting to place well on the fourth. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now, I, I wonder, is, is Max, you know, eating the diced up hot dogs already? Is that how that's going? So he, he wants to try everything that we have. Um, with the hot dogs, he, he's still working on his coordination. But, um, you know, he really likes bread. So sometimes he'll just eat that and get distracted. But, you know, he competitive eating's not in his future, and I'm, uh, I'm good with that. I bet you are. No question about it. All right. So when was the last time you were in Vegas? Oh, uh, Vegas, last time I was there. Fairly recently. Oh, my gosh. We had a longer layover because a flight was canceled um hold on i'm trying to anyway a couple of months ago um but we you know the, what sucked is we didn't have enough time to like really veer off and, and go have dinner like we wanted to um but yeah the actual legit trip that we took i think was for uh was it when nick proposed kind of can't be that long ago yeah. what really that long i it, i think it's i think it's been a while babe When's the last time I was in Vegas or we went to Vegas? Sorry. Yeah, honestly, I think it was I think it was for um the 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 contest, the hard-boiled egg thing. Okay, well then then yeah. then then I'm not gonna read you the ride act because I was gonna bl- put you on blast for not you know hooking up because you're supposed to come to studio. We've been talking about like for like ten years now, you know. So, oh my god. So so there you go. So you're off the hook, Mickey. You're okay. That's good. I'm okay. Gl- yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad no, to hear. Definitely. it. Definitely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Our, our last trip really got messed up because uh, we actually. Nick wanted to go in and do this uh, quesadilla challenge. Like, um, I don't know, I want to say it's up in North Las Vegas, but uh, because of the timing, we we basically we had enough time to just leave the airport and like go right back to our connecting flight. It was uh, things have been a little bit tougher because of Max. So he's cute, but I think it's partially his 
It's just piece of blame. Okay, so has the training slowed down at all? Are you still, you know, as fierce? Uh, no. And, and you still as hungry? You know, this is what I want to know. I mean, we we got we got Tuesday. I mean, let's let's hear about uh, where your mindset's at and what the training's been going like. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think I slowed down at all since having Max. I mean, in fact, I I did a contest less than two months after giving birth to him. Right. Um, it was a wing contest over Labor Day weekend, but I, I won the whole thing, you know, beat Joey Chestnut, Jeff Esper, everyone else. Um, I've had a few other wins um, since then um, in those last two years. As far as hot dogs go, yeah, honestly, I think, like, being a mom and having, you know, being pregnant and everything, I, I, I had to bounce back to my pre-pregnancy body and, and really kind of just, you know, not step it up in terms of, of getting back into shape, but just like being more mindful, you know, and I think that's kind of a lot of what motherhood has been like being more mindful about how I'm spending my time. You know, it's you still have the same 24 hours in a day. It's just kind of like, it might require more planning so you can fit in all the things that you want to do. Um, and then training's just been part of that. Like we make it work for our life. Um, so yeah, last year, honestly, I really thought I was headed to hit some high numbers, but, um, the numbers were down across the board, and I've tweaked a few things this year. And I really, I don't want to make any promises, but I really want to break that forty-eight and a half. I, I don't like my personal record. <laughs> How do you not like forty-eight and a half? Twenty twenty, you got forty-eight and a half, if, and then now, you know, down a little bit last year. Okay, no problem, but you still dominated. So, what is that yeah. number? What is that number going to be this year? I mean, I, at home, I, the most I've done is fifty because I actually ran out of hot dogs that day. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, there's, I, I probably like, and, and we had a news crew filming us and everything and just legit Nathan's dogs. It was just, I was on a, a good day off to set a, a high number. Um, so I have that at least, um, you know, just weather permitting, you know, hope, people are telling me it's supposed to rain this next week and I'm, I'm not trying to hear that. So I'm hoping they're wrong. Um, I'm, I'm tweaking my, my technique a little bit to hopefully just be a little bit faster out, um, out of the gate. Um, it's a risk, but I'm hoping that pays off. So we'll see. Wish me luck. So well, good luck. I, you don't need any luck, girl. Are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, you're going to dominate. There's no question about that. We know that. Uh, the thing is, you mentioned you practiced at home here. Okay. You ran out of hot dogs. So who is prepping the hot dogs? Are, are you doing that? Somebody else bringing them in? Are you going boil? Are you going steam? Are they on the grill? These are the things I need to know because I am the hot dog connoisseur. You may be the champ, oh, Mickey yeah. Sudo, but I'm the connoisseur. Oh, I mean, I, I love him, Max. Some of these practices. Yeah, exactly. He he wants to be on the show too. He's your next guest. No problem. Um, no, I I've uh, I've live streamed some of these practices. I mean, they're they're just they're exactly as glamorous as they sound. You know, we we uh typically don't use the the store packaged hot dogs, so they're they're bags of forty. So we just okay. slice open, you know, whatever we need from the the Nathan's distributor and um, just cook them up. We've got a few flat tops set aside just for our practices. Um, and I've never been good at doing hot dog practices alone. I just, you know, I, maybe I'm just weak mentally in that aspect, but I just can't find the motivation to keep going for 10 minutes. So I'm going to have Nick um, as my practicing partner. So, yeah, he, we kind of, we could, I don't know, we have it down to a system. We just, like, cook up all the hot dogs. You know, usually we'll eat one after the other, but sometimes it's fun to go head-to-head, even side-by-side, you know, at the same time. Um, and then we just try to clean up as fast as possible. So, you know, because the last thing you want to do is, like, deal with a, a hot dog hurricane, you know, afterwards. Right. So we try to clean up as you go, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a, 
it's a whole process. Do you casually eat hot dogs, say go to a ball game or at home say, I want a hot dog? And if that's the case, what do you put on your hot dog? Oh, yeah, of course. I love hot dogs. Um, yeah, I just, one, I'm not going to be dunking the buns in warm flavored water. Not. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but too, yeah, I do like the Nathan's hot dogs. Honestly, I, I didn't know enough to really have a preference before I started doing the, the Nathan's contest. I really do like the naturally cased hot dogs that have that snap to them. Yeah. It's almost like they keep the juice in when they cook. Um, when you bite into it, it's just like, Boom. Um, but yeah, I like to top those with uh, chopped white raw onions, uh, brown mustard, and sauerkraut. So that's like my, my go-to hot dog. But if I'm having like, if I'm having like three or four, like at a normal cookout, um, you know, sometimes like just mayo is nice. Um, sometimes I like that celery salt. And then at home, I, I might just get weird and make like a bon mi style hot dog. Um, I make like the daikon carrot pickles, you know, like yeah. and. Um, on sriracha, mayonnaise, um, cilantro, and yeah, do all sorts of weird stuff. I like love that. it. She is Mickey Sudo. She is the champ. It's the famous Nathan's hot dog eating contest taking place Coney Island on uh, Tuesday. So, from yeah. betting purposes, as you know, Mickey, you know we're in Vegas, right? So, yeah, I'm going to tell you what the. Uh, obviously the odds for you winning, it's astronomical. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> you, you got to put up 5,000 bucks to win a hundred. Okay. But here's where all the action is coming in on the total number of hot dogs that you are going to consume. What do you think that number is on the board? Um, I mean, my, my personal best is 48 right. and a half and I only ate 40 last year. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to ding me a bit, but I think 40 was on the low end. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing they have it somewhere around like 42. All right. And a half Here maybe. it is. We go live to the sports book. Mickey Sudo's total hot dog number is under over 43 and a half. Oh, okay. So but, should, uh, should I, should I go and just unload on the over? I, I, honestly, I honestly, if this had been last year, I would have been like all day, uh, like last year, of course. Yeah. But then, like, I, I was dumbfounded after I ate. I was almost apologetic. I'm like, you guys, I don't know what the hell happened because I came ready. Yeah. Um, but then the numbers were down across the board. So, like, I, I don't I don't know. Um, sometimes there are factors beyond your control. And with the rain, I don't know. I okay. never want to promise anything. Um, but I am definitely hoping to eat more than 43 and a half. All right. That sounds good. And uh, so where are you at right now? You, you you back home or when do you go to New York? No, we actually just got in today. So you caught me on, uh, yeah, day one. So we landed at LaGuardia, um, I don't know, a couple hours ago, a few hours ago. Um, we stopped by the Major League Eating uh, headquarters office, um, you know, said hi to everybody there and just checked into our super nice uh, accommodations and we're turning in for the night. Outstanding. All right. All right. We're going to have George Shea on, and I guess he's cutting a video with Badlands Booker, uh, you know, yep. from the streets there. And uh, so George is going to join us right now. Any any message uh, that uh, I should pass on uh, to George from you? Uh, you know, uh, you know, just tell him, like, super, he knows this, but I'm super appreciative. It's my 10th year, and it's great to see him and everybody else. And on Father's Day, I, I texted him, like, happy Father's Day to the, you know, like, the MLE dad or something like that. So, and really, like, he's been part of my life for over a decade now. And, uh, you know, you know, I just saw him recently. I'll see him again tomorrow. And, right. you know, thank him for all his hard work, because the show really, uh, you know, it's a, he, he puts in a lot of work, and it's it's 
he makes it. He definitely does. And uh, we look forward to to watching it. And just, I mean, being there, you've been there as a spectator. You've been there, obviously, mm-hmm. as, as a contestant. Uh, when you were down in, in the crowd a couple of years ago, when you didn't compete, would, uh, wh- what was that like? Was it a different vibe for you instead of being on stage? Um, you know, honestly, like you couldn't, they couldn't keep me away from Coney Island that year. So the, it was when they held it at the, the Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium in 2021. I still like insisted on being involved. So they, they allowed me to be an ESPN commentator for the day alongside Michael Jr. and right. Shea. Um, so that was like, I'm definitely putting that on my resume, you know, when I, when I move on to other things, I guess. Um, so yeah, no, it was still cool to be like a part of it. Um, you know, Fourth of July, Coney Island is part of it's what I do. It's part of my tradition with my family now. No question. All right, Mickey, we appreciate the time. We got George on right now, so we'll do a little crossover here, awesome. real quick, as we go to the man, the master MC that shocks the house every every Fourth of July. My man, part of Shea Communications, the is the man. No question with this George Shea. We got Mickey on. What do you want to say to Mickey as she gets ready to dominate again, George, on Tuesday? She is a phenom. She is both elegant and fearsome at the table. It's an amazing combination, and she's a great hero. We are lucky to have her. Her competitors, sadly, are unlucky to have her because I fear she's going to dominate yet again. <laughs> there you go, Mickey. You heard it. From, you heard from the man. Thanks, George. I mean, honestly, I look forward to seeing you and your team every year, and I'm super happy to be back. So, thank you for all that you do. <laughs> there it is. Thank you. Mickey, we'll talk to you soon, and hopefully we can get a recap with you next week after uh, you've digested everything and you set a new record and you're, uh, you got you got that mustard belt on your shoulder again. How's that? Absolutely, yeah. No, I already made a on my wall. There you go. All right, take care, girl. Appreciate you. Take care. Yes, Bye-bye. Mickey Sudo. There we go. Pride of Las Vegas. And there, there is the man. I think he's on surfing Stidwell right now, the one and only George Shea. What is going on, my man? I am in the corner, literally at the corner of Surf and Stillwell Avenues, where the contest will be in front of Nathan's Famous with Badlands Booker, the great rapper, the chug master, the great eater. And we are filming a rap video, but it is impossible to do because Badlands is such a celebrity now with Badlands Chugs, the uh, YouTube channel, that everybody just keeps coming up to him and stopping us. So so that's why we have a break. He's just signing autographs and taking... uh, Taking photos. Well, I appreciate that, man. If we if we get Badlands uh, to get on to jump on uh, here, we'll we'll incorporate him as well too. But as you know, my friend, I love talking with you uh, each and every year. Uh, we played your intro earlier. Fantastic. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, yeah, done. Your, I, I was ready to like to 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 march, you know, up on the stage. I mean, with that introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> It makes you want to eat, doesn't it? Well, George, I mean, I, I eat every day. I'm I'm a hot dog eating connoisseur every day, my friend. You know, except you know, I'm not putting down, you know, forty and fifty at a time like Mickey or sixty like Joey does. You know what I'm saying? Or even Badlands. You know, but uh, I'm I'm down for my two a day out here in Vegas. Well, that's that's what the doctors recommend: two a day. There you go. And um, but uh, you know, it's it's you're one of the, the the more knowledgeable people in the nation on on the sport, and and obviously follow it. As it comes forward, you know, on the, on the 4th of July every year, but this is going to be a great year. You know, we've, Joey's coming back. I personally don't know that he could beat his personal record of 76. I don't, I just, I just don't know how that could happen. You'd have to have almost perfect conditions. It's now in Coney Island. We have a nice breeze. It's probably 72, 74 degrees. 
in this kind of weather, a little humid, a little smoky, but, but in this kind of weather, I think he could get there. But at an 85 and 87 degrees at, at, at noon, you know, at, at 1230 on, on 4th of July, I don't know that he can break 76, but I know that that's what he wants to do. You know, uh, Mickey had said that she was hearing that it, it could rain, and she was pretty disappointed with that because it is amazing. I don't think a lot of people understand that weather is a factor in how many hot dogs you can consume, right? And why oh, is that? There's no doubt about it. And that. why is no the weather a factor? That. Why is that? Well, like, look, a lot of things they think are factors. One is if the hot dogs come out too early, which they did last year, they came out about an hour early mm. and sat there, then they tighten up, makes it much harder to eat, and that's why the numbers were down overall. I mean, it was fair for everybody, but it was just the, the lower numbers. If it's super, super hot the, uh, and dry, the buns are going to dry out, right? If it's super in the, the heavy sun. And, but if it's, if it's I, I think the impact of it being super humid and or raining is you would think maybe, well, it wets the buns, it makes it easier. But somehow I just think that it sort of drags the, drags the eaters down. It's much like a marathon runner where the best temperature would be that November 60 degrees, you know, in the 60s, that kind of thing, rather than a, a 75 or an 80. Now, George, someone has to get fired or something like that. If they're putting the dogs out like an hour early, I mean, we can't have that. I don't know how you do this or who does this. I mean, to cook, I mean, uh, almost, what, a 1,000 hot dogs, whatever that number is. I mean, I don't know how it's done, but uh, well, they, how, they do, you, how do you do that? Job. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, Nathan's, the Nathan's team is incredible. So then they have the you know, biggest day of the year uh, serving out on their retail counter, and then they have uh, you know, 30,000 people around the store and then the, and the stage and they're, and they're cooking a thousand hot dogs for the eaters. So, you know, they do an incredible job. What I was saying is even something where the, you don't want the hot dogs hot, right? If they're burning hot, then the, the eaters literally cannot eat them. Right. So there's a sweet spot. If you miss it, you miss it by 15 or 20 minutes, it's going to impact the number of hot dogs that can be eaten. And, and a lot of little things like that. People don't realize, you know, jaw strength, um, flavor fatigue, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it all too much of, of one kind of flavor for too long and it, and it becomes, um, an issue, you know, a psychological issue. So there are all kinds of things that impact the eaters, but generally see very high numbers this year. Do we know what the number of hot dogs that Nathan's prepares for the contest? Men's and women's, I guess, if you combine them both. Do we, do we know, we've got a ballpark what that number is? I think, I think it is more than a thousand. Wow. If I recall correctly, it's like 1200 or more. You know, they, they, they are not one, and, 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 you know, the Nathan's gives out a, uh, a donation to the Food Bank of New York City mm-hmm. for a hundred thousand, um, per year on the 4th of July. But I, but they're, they're cooking a lot for the eaters and they want to make sure that there's a 15, dog margin, you know, so that they don't, that they don't ever run out. Yeah. But like, you know, Joey, I've been at contests before where Joey is like taking plates, not hot dog contests, but taking plates of food from another eater. <laughs> and it's, it's sometimes you need, you need, there's a big conversation, yeah. these convers, you know, these contests, like how much, how much are they going to eat? If we eat popsicles, how many popsicles are they going to eat? And yeah. then we have to go to the eaters and go, we've never eaten popsicles. How many would you eat? You know? <laughs> so it's, it's, there's a, 
a lot of organization. George Shea joins us, uh, the organizer, and of course, you see him on the mic, uh, the MC, of course, the world-famous Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest that takes place each and every year, 4th of July, there at Coney Island, and he is talking to us right there from Surf and Stidwell right now as we get ready for it. George, um, anything new this year, either from the television side, the broadcast, or uh, there uh, on the stage in the crowd, or is it pretty much status I, I, quo? No, I, I think, I think, um, and, and Badlands waving at me saying like, like, let's go, let's do this video. Okay. But, um, I, I, I thought, but I'll, I'll wrap up with you. No, I think, I think what's interesting this year, we have eaters from the UK, from Japan, from Australia, from Brazil, South Korea, and Canada. And so, you know, I think it's six of the seven continents are represented. There are some really good eaters coming. I would not, tell you that I think they're going to beat Joey Chestnut, but I think a lot of these eaters are going to be in that second tier high up, and there will be some challenges to the Americans who have dominated for the last, you know, 10 years or so. Um, but I think that's what I'm watching. I want to see there are a couple, there's a, there's a, there's a guy from Japan named Renzosa who goes by Zosan, which is, it means elephant in Japanese. And uh, I think he could be very good, but we have the number one ranked Japanese eater, Max Suzuki, who will definitely be in that 40-plus range. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. But but if I can, I'd love to send a, a shout-out to all the folks at Nathan's and ESPN who put things together because, yes. you know, they're such a great crew. And also, we have uh, Pepsid, Pepsid, the, uh, the, the over-the-counter stomach uh, 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 acid reducer as a secondary sponsor this year. So shout-out to them. But we're, you know, we're really gearing up. And look, that, if I wish we were on a on a FaceTime call, I would show you the crowd now back around Badlands. It's pretty incredible. I bet it is. Yeah, shoot me a video and uh, and send that over. I appreciate that. And Badlands, he's not near the phone. I mean, he's 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 mob. He, he can, has he got time to say hello to us real quick here. Give us a quick wrap. I, I, I fear he doesn't. There's a young man talking to him, and it's like his hands are shaking because like to a <laughs> younger crowd. I mean, I'm telling you, Badlands chugs. I was here, and a little kid was almost crying last year when he when he saw Badlands. So I think it would be a mess to get him, but. But I will, no I, I will send you his regards. Yes. He's the best of the best. And um, he's going to be doing the World Chugging Championship on July 4. His personal record is 32 seconds for a gallon of lemonade. So he's going to try to break that. He's got four competitors coming against him. I love that. Well, tell Badlands, and you can arrange this for us, uh, George. Maybe he can join us uh, maybe next week or something like that uh, and, we'll do. Uh, and promote yeah. his stuff. But yes, Badlands Booker, what, over 3.4 million uh, 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 YouTube views? Phenomenal. And like I said, Badline Chugs. Very familiar with that. Yes. George, I appreciate the time. We'll let you go. Go do your thing, brother. Do you have a straw hat on okay. right now? Is the hat I on? Literally, I literally have the straw hat on. I, I'm a man Man who is who is not uncomfortable in an embarrassing straw hat. So, uh, but I but I I hope you guys have a great Fourth of July. I appreciate you having all of us on and uh, rock on, and, and and we'll talk soon. You got it, brother. Appreciate you. Okay, there thank you, is. George Shea. You recognize the voice. You know the man. Oh, definitely outstanding. Just promoter extraordinaire. Has been doing this going on thirty plus years. At Coney Island, one of my all-time favorites. We've had George on, Mickey Sudo, uh, jo- Joey Chet. I mean, going back in the day, uh, always big supporter of that. And you know where I'm locked in? Fourth of July, nine o'clock in the morning Pacific time. I am always locked in to the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest. I forgot. There's one thing I wanted George to do, and I forgot. What were you gonna have him do? I was gonna have him. 
give a subtle shout out during the contest. I was going to have him give us a word or drop my name. Uh, uh, you know what uh, I'm saying? Possible like too cold. Y- exactly. Dimension. A reference. So a we knew it was for us, you know, because we have, we, we have listeners out there that like, you know, when I do that and we were going to do that. And I see we are so rushed today with uh, the Badlands Booker Vito and everything of that nature. But hey, all good. All right. Appreciate Mickey Sudo for joining us. The champ, the eight time champ. How about that number? Huh? 43 and a half. Mickey goes over. Joey Chestnut, 73 and a half. Hmm? All right. You guys that like to wager on all things, including hot dogs, you know people fire on it. And then we have a, a combination over under, right? 116 and a half of total hot dogs consumed by Joey Chestnut and Mickey Sudo. I think that goes over. See, George is right. The weatherman is such a key factor with all that. I would figure if it was wet, it, they don't have to dunk it as, as much. And it's just, you can yeah. just eat probably pound But you more. know what? He's right with the humidity. And then, like, say if it's 87 or 90 degrees, you're hot. hot it's just like humid. any athlete. It's no. like a pitcher being yeah, on the exactly. mound. It, it, I mean, it's baking sun I got at, you. At, at 12, 12.30 in the afternoon there in uh, New York. All right. Again, we appreciate, I appreciate Mickey Suda and George Shea uh, for joining us. And uh, Monday and Tuesday, we're going to be off. Of course, tomorrow we'll be at the... I'm so happy about that. Yes, you, you can have the day off, okay? Joey Sly's got to work, though, okay? He's the intern. He's got to work it. Just supply him with a lot of hot dogs, okay? But no, we'll have a best of on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, we usually do that on the 4th of July. We're going to do it Monday as well, too. So, yes, we get an extended weekend. Nunchuck, very happy about that. But tomorrow we'll be at the Westgate, of course, our Friday show. Make sure you join us uh, for that and uh, from 2 to 4 p.m. at the world-famous Superbook, as always. All right. And uh, Monday, Tuesday, best ofs. Back at it again on Wednesday. Thank all of them, everyone, for joining us today. Olden Polonese, great stuff talking NBA Summer League with him. Chris Bazio talking about the perfect game last night for the Yankees in Domingo Herman. And what else? Scott Spritzer as well, too. All right. Appreciate everybody. Nubchuck, Joey Sly, everybody. You miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to tcmartinshow.com because I got the pride and the stride, the glide and the stride. I move to the groove to the funky sound that's all around because I get down with my hot dog town. That's right, baby. We'll catch you on the flip side tomorrow. Hi. Hi.